You're now listening to The Social Hour. They're not PC. So if occasional foul language turns you off, then you have all been warned. This is the call before the storm. If you haven't done anything by 55, you're not going to. Uh No one gets their shit together at 56 and a half. Get ready for the social hour. Live from Deese World Studios in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, This is the social hour. On today's show comic book creator Jay Ferber and now your host he's glad Thanksgiving is over so he can finally start the war on Christmas Dees Casillas Malabkeen everyone welcome to the show this is the social hour I am Dees thank you for joining us for another episode I know I have been uh, absent the last few weeks kept promising you a new episode I've been on the road traveling uh, as you've seen my schedule and following Uh, but we're back in in the uh, temporary studio now Uh, we've got a a great guest someone I've been wanting to talk to for a while Uh, comic book writer creator Jay Ferber I'm uh, told it is pronounced although there's some uh, uh, debate in the family as to how that is pronounced. Yes, I think some of us are more uh, uh, trying to adhere more to our German roots okay. and have started calling it Ferber. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how it's spelled. But uh, but I grew up saying Ferber. For, yeah, you grew up in America. You're like, yeah, we're going to just, that's right. we'll be, you yep. know, anything to make it a little easier, a little lazier. It's I want of, to assimilate. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I know when everyone's like, your last name's Casillas. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah. <laughs> whatever's, whatever's easier and gets me pulled over less. Uh, yep. the, <laughs> um, well, thanks for being here, Jay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Like I said, I've been um, fan of yours for a long time. Uh, so it's nice to, to get you on Thank the you. show and get a chance to talk to you. Um, so I'm really interested. I've... Um, you obviously been reading your your work for a long time, but uh, reading up a little about your history and what you you've done, where you're from. You grew up in um, Washington State, is that right? In in Gig Harbor. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but okay. I lived in Washington State. I moved there after college, oh, so I got lived it. there for about ten years. Oh, nice. Yeah. What uh, what I I actually just moved from Washington to Texas. I'm from LA originally, then was in Montana, then back in LA. Then Washington, now Texas. Wow. Uh, what part of Washington? I was you? actually in uh, the North Idaho version, uh, Spokane. So the oh, complete okay. opposite side of the state. Yep. yep. Uh, yes. But I actually, the Tacoma Comedy Club is one of the clubs I performed at probably the most in my career. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah, I lived most of my time, about half the time I was there, I lived in Gig Harbor, which yeah. is right next door to Tacoma, yep. basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love the South Sound area. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. What took? I mean, that's a. I uh, just getting out of the East Coast, wanting to go to. Yeah, I think it was a little bit go west, young man. Sure. And uh, I, I, I have an aunt and uncle who lived there, and I visited them, and I just fell in love with the Northwest, yeah. with the climate, the scenery, and and all that. And I just kind of wanted to start my adulthood there, I guess. Sure. Uh, so I moved there right after college, uh, and that's where I broke into comics. I was living in Seattle um, when I first got hired uh by marvel comics and then 
I, I lived there for another year or so, and then I moved to New York. I had gotten enough work that I, I was able to quit my day job and decided to move out to New York because that's where the publishers were yeah. at that time. And so I lived there for a little while and then ended up back in Washington. Oh, okay. Uh, lived there for a while longer. Did, was it kind of like, I assume probably because, I mean, I think like late 90s is kind of when you're getting into comic books, kind of early yeah. 2000s is when it, I assume the trajectory was really going. Um Moving to New York was probably like the thing to do, but also soon after that, it was probably like you can live anywhere and do comics. You didn't have to be in yeah. New York anymore. Yes, yeah, it was, and it was interesting because this was right around the time when email started to become widely used. Right. So I was when I broke in, we would fax our scripts into the office, <laughs> and you would get faxes of artwork and stuff, yeah. and then then we all had email accounts, but they weren't. But like Marvel and DC weren't allowed to accept scripts through email. So you would still have to fax them in. And then they would, you, you, the editor would sometimes be like, hey, can you just email me a copy too, just kind of off the record? I'm like, right. yeah, sure. Yeah. And then, you know, very quickly that became the default. And then people had FTP servers where they could upload artwork. And so it was interesting watching all of that happen. I can remember coming back from my day job. Uh, to eagerly check my fax machine to see if I got artwork <laughs> in or, or whatever. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, but then by the time I was in New York, email had already kind of become dominant. And then you could move anywhere. You could live anywhere. I yeah. mean, you always could, but it was even easier. Sure. Um, and I think what kind of kicked me out of the nest in New York was that I was, I had this great apartment. I was renting a condo that somebody owned and they were going to sell it. So I had to move anyway. And oh, I thought, yeah. well, and so I actually moved out to L.A. briefly because I thought, let me try the Hollywood thing. And I moved out to L.A. and I lasted about a year and a half before I gave up and moved back up to the Northwest. And then it wasn't it was about five years later that I moved back down to L.A. and gave Hollywood a, a second chance. Yeah. I mean, what it's uh, it's funny how in an industry where I mean, especially for a guy like you who doesn't do just comic books, um, you know, you kind of chase the industry and then these, the, the yeah. way the industries have changed and where, um, yeah. but I mean, I assume even doing the TV writing with so much of it filmed other places, you know, Georgia and Van in BC and stuff like that. It's like how much of that is needing to be even in, in Burbank. Yeah. It's still, it's it, a shift is happening. Like I am hearing of, of people who don't live in LA and who can still get work and, and, you know, TV writers rooms that have zoom, yeah. all the time for people who aren't local. Uh, but it's still most of the work is done here in yeah. terms of writing. It's yeah. it's like I've heard of people who have become established and then moved away and are like, yeah, I'm going to run my show, but I'm going to run it from my office here in Tennessee sure. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think to break in and as just sort of a journeyman writer, it's still pretty helpful to be here. Yeah. You have a little more latitude when you're the guy, yeah. going, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to do exactly. this from wherever I want. Cause you exactly. want me to do this. Um, the, yeah. so I guess it must've, you must've had a interesting last few months with the writer's strike then I guess I didn't, I didn't think about that until just now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a big shift. Uh, and you know, just to go from writing during the day to, oh, now I'm going to go walk on a picket line. I mean, I, it, yeah. it was a little bit different for me cause I wasn't on a show when the strike happened. So I was just at home working on my own material, trying to sell something. Yeah. Um, and 
so when the strike happened, then there was nowhere to sell anything. I couldn't, you know, I could still write, you know, for fun uh, and to have stuff in my back pocket. But, you know, a, a good, you know, a couple hours of my day was spent out on the picket line. Yeah. And pretty quickly that became, it started to feel normal, which was a little scary. Right, yeah. To like, oh, this is just my routine <laughs> now. I get up and put on my uh, hiking shoes and shorts and sunscreen and go for a walk and uh, hold my sign. Uh, but I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, you know, the business is still trying to find its footing, you know, cause the actor's strike still hasn't completely ended. They haven't voted on their agreement yet. Um, but I think everybody's optimistic that by the new year we'll be a little closer to being back in business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much, I have no idea how, how much you're able to dis- discuss anything with that, but I mean, it, it had to have been interesting with that, the changing landscape, um, you know, the, what it AI writing and things like that. And like the, uh, for, for actors using their, their likeness, uh, in the background, like digitally and things like that. I mean, what a, you know, it's these things that are happening so fast in the, in, in the way the industry is changing. And, and of course, you know, leave it to Hollywood to find any way to, you know, yeah. <laughs> Make, yeah, well, know. I mean, it, and it's 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 still happening. I mean, I don't know if you saw just yesterday a story came out about Sports Illustrated having these articles written by AI. Oh man, no, they had AI generated photos and bylines and biographies for their fake journalists. Yeah, I mean, I believe it, it was actually a third party, like an outside vendor, that did this. Sure, um, but when when journalists asked sports illustrated about it suddenly they just took everything down yeah <laughs> just and yeah it's i think it's more of an issue for actors and than writers mm-hmm. i think they have more risks with ai and digital duplicates and all that stuff um so they have a a, a bigger sort of minefield to navigate yeah. through than we do yeah i mean that a, a little it seems like a little bit more of an immediate one but Man, yeah. I mean, you start using these, you know, like chat GPT and these things where you're like, hey, I want, you know, write something in the form of the Quentin Tarantino, but with, uh, you know, but Harry Potter. And it's, the, right. the, the premises they start spitting out really can be uh, not necessarily your whole script, but right. I mean, a base that's, that, that can be really takeaway jobs yeah. for writers. Yeah, and that was the fear as well, was that studios would try to come in with their own, you know, here's a premise that yeah. we came up with with AI. Now we want you to just kind of polish it and, right. and do a rewrite on it. Uh, and and that was something that we fought hard to be like, no, like anything that you guys want to produce has to be generated by a human. Yeah. That, that a writer is, is a human being. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I think we've kind of locked that down, that that, that can't happen how what's the timeline for the for the contract for the next like negotiations i guess uh for the writers you mean yeah uh i mean our contract we're good now for another i believe three years okay so three years from now our contract expires and then we renegotiate and 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 all that stuff um and i mean who knows a lot can happen in three years i i i hope that we're not in this same spot again and having to go on strike i I don't think we will, but yeah. I don't know, man. Is the three year is that pretty standard then? Is that kind of the re- I believe so. Okay. I'm not super 
educated about the other contracts, the other guilds, but yeah. I know for the writers it's three years. Oh, okay, so that's uh, not that's not like out of the, that's not a like, weird number. Yeah, that's no, just every that that's a standard thing. I believe okay. it's like every three years our our deal comes up. Yeah, I can imagine now. I mean, from it seems like from like nine. I don't know when the Writers Guild was formed, but from, we'll say from like nineteen sixty to like nineteen ninety seven. I feel like there wasn't as much change and now it's like every right. three years makes a lot of sense because the way yeah. how fast things are are moving yep. yeah yeah exactly so, exactly i mean the, the stuff just changes so quickly that it's 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 necessary yeah that's yeah it's got to be a wild wild experience so you're yeah. these days you're you're mostly kind of doing uh tv as opposed to the to the comic books right yeah tv is i, I call it my day job okay. that that's more of and comics is more like a hobby so i okay. i have i have one graphic novel that i'm working on and that's pretty much it like okay. I, i'm out of the monthly deadline game yeah. it's it's too uh when i first got into tv i had uh near death going at image which was a, supposed to be a monthly series and that was tough to to be on a TV staff and crank out this book every month. Yeah. And that was before I had a kid. So Damn now yeah. it's like, there's no way. Um, so I can, the graphic novel I can do because we're not going to, you know, schedule it till it's done and we know it, you know, so we can just kind of put it together on our own time. Yeah. Uh, and it's truly more like a hobby. I mean, do you like that? Is that preferable to you for as far as creatively or is, I mean, uh, obviously I would, I would assume the money in, in, in script TV is better than comic books. Uh, yeah. But like creatively, how does that feel for you? I mean, creatively it, it's, it is, yes, there t television is a lot more lucrative than comics uh, in a large part because we have a guild, we have a yeah. union and, and can negotiate and, and everything and comics doesn't and, and can't really. Um, so yeah, uh, TV is, is a lot more lucrative. Um, and, and so that's where I spend most of my effort. Sure. Uh, uh, all things being equal, I would love to be able to just dabble in all of it. You yeah. know, there are some ideas that I have that I think would make a better TV show than a comic book. And some ideas I think would make a better comic. I still, you know, growing up on Marv Wolfman and George Perez's new teen Titans, like I still love like the long ongoing yeah. serialized monthly comic book format, but it's really hard to do that these days that the market is, is, you know, very different and is yeah. not real supportive of that kind of book. Yeah. Even at Marvel and DC, you rarely see runs go on that long. Uh, it's yeah, it's just a different time. Yeah. I mean, everything, you know, from the early two thousands when they started, you know, writing for the trade, as as they yeah. kind of say when the when the uh, book market opened up with trade paperbacks and Barnes and Noble and stuff, which was you know around '02 kind of area, I think you know it really changed the the landscape. And um, yeah, I mean it makes it to where these you know long form writers like I, I grew up an X Men guy, so like Chris Claremont, right. like that type of thing sure. could never happen. Like a seventeen year yeah. run of this, could, yeah. it would just never happen. Um, and it's un it's unfortunate because I I there's certainly great small sales scale stories and finite and mini series happening um, or books that are you know look at something you know like Brian K Vaughn writes Why the Last Man it's fifty four issues or whatever it's yeah. like you know um, but that long form of like perpetu uh, perpetually going on just is not doesn't exist yeah 
Yeah, it, it's it's really. I mean, there are a, a few guys who are able to pull that off these days who have enough of a fan base and and can pull those kind of numbers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for most writers, it's just it's the support isn't there. Yeah, it's yeah. it's too bad. Do you what do you think that's from? I mean, is it is it attention span? Is it the the way the market has been directed? Is it just the the lack the more that comic books has gone to more collecting as opposed to reading you know well i think it's oh it's all the above i think it's i mean even when i was doing uh when i landed new warriors at marvel and this was back in like 2099 yeah. something like that even then i wanted like the original new warriors book i wanted to do a, a, a superhero soap opera yeah and have lots of plot threads and subplots that simmer on the back burner and my editor was always like, no, 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 we need to, like, if you introduce a plot point, we have to wrap it up in this issue or the next issue. Like, yeah. it was all keep things contained. And it was all because, like, the book was always on the verge of cancellation yeah. from the moment <laughs> it was announced, basically. And so it was always like, you know, the numbers aren't there. We can't, you know, you, you don't want to leave these plot threads out there dangling because yeah. we're going to get canceled. And sure enough, we did. Um and it's, I don't know if it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you, if you say that and then put the book out and it fails, it's like, well, if we had tried to do it my way, would it have been any better? Like, I, I don't know. There's sure. no way to know. Yeah. But like it, it, it couldn't have, it couldn't have, and not, I don't mean this as a pejorative, but it couldn't have been worse. Meaning like it couldn't, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it, you know, uh, and I don't mean that as like the book not being of no, quality. No, no, no. I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. So like it, it's, yep. uh, so yeah, I mean, I think. Because it's funny, I mean, as someone who uh, writes in, I still read comic books and, you know, and talk to people who do it. There's, it seems like there's people out there that still want that, but apparently it's not enough of the market to, to yeah. make it worthwhile, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're seeing little bits of it. Like, um, I'm a big fan of Tom Taylor and, mm. uh, and, and what he's doing at Nightwing. Mm -hmm. And he's been on that for a couple of years now, I think. Yeah. And it has a nice sort of cohesive feeling to it that, that it feels like a book from a bygone era yeah. in a good way. It doesn't feel old fashioned, but it, 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 it feels contained. You only have to read Nightwing. You don't have to read spinoffs and right. other series. Uh, and there's lots of character subplots and it's kind of soapy. Uh, and yeah, I, I, so, so there is, there are people out there who recognize what kind of book that can be. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, I look forward to that every month. Yeah. It's the funny, it's funny you say that. Cause I, that's one of the few DC books I read. Um, yeah. and it's, I hear I started reading it because everyone going back, going back to it recently because people like, oh, it's great. Tom Taylor's doing great stuff and this and that. So it's a book that gets talked about a lot and people read it. But then nobody thinks, hey, what he's right. doing is something we should duplicate yes. to yes. other things. It's so yeah. um, the, it's, it's the irony is, is kind of yeah. interesting there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, the because so. As for your career, you went back, like, I, it's very interesting. I, this point, I got to ask you, your first published work was with Marvel for what if number 114, is that correct? Yep. And it was a book that was already canceled. Yes. Um, did you know it was canceled when you got the gig? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yes. It was, I'm trying to think. 
Yeah, I got hired for What If. It's interesting because I think my first published work was actually a DC comic. It was like a eight or ten page story okay. in a Secret Origins 80 page giant. And it came out first, but I had been hired for the Marvel gig first. Okay, got it, and got it. I'd been hired by Frank Pitarisi at Marvel. And Eddie Berganza hired me at DC, and they were friends. And so Eddie was like, oh, if Frank trusts you, I'll give you a shot. And that book just happened to come out first. But the what-if book, I, I actually wrote first. And yeah, Frank had told me, like, look, the book is ending. We have this open slot. And he even gave me the premise. He was like, we want it to be, like, on the Secret, War, Secret Wars planet, you know, as if they never left. Yeah. And we're going back there 20 years later or whatever it was uh go and then from there i was able to just kind of build it uh into what what came out um but yeah it was i, I think the easiest i think the best scenario for a tryout because what's the worst could happen yeah. the, the book's already been canceled right. <laughs> like, no literally i'm not bulletproof <laughs> yeah uh but it was, it was a great experience and and frank is still one of my best friends to this day and greg Siegel, the artist who was an assistant editor at marvel at the time uh, he and I hit it off, and we're still in touch. And that book, we still get asked about that book from time to time. It yeah. was it was uh, a real fun experience for us and, and seemed to resonate with people, enough that there was briefly talk of doing a sequel, of, of doing like a spinoff out oh, of that wow. book. Uh, and we put together a pitch, and, and, and but it just it fizzled out. It never happened. Yeah. Yeah, The uh, I mean, it's got to be tough to – I mean, especially that time in the market when things were changing so rapidly with, yeah. with Marvel and, you know, every their whole, everything Marvel was doing, you know, coming out of bankruptcy, yeah. going into, uh, from Bob Harris to Joe Quesada and that whole time. It was yeah. a very, you know, darker time, I would say. Yes. And, and I mean, it, it was, not necessarily bad, just darker in tone. Yeah, um, it was, I mean, that, that was the days where they were having like mass layoffs where, yeah. you know, half the editorial staff would be let go in one day. Yeah. It was it was tumultuous. Sure. That well, you know, it seems like you look back in the last thirty years in comics, and it's always tumultuous for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so from from what if you went to Generation X? Is that right? Yes. Yep. That what, was my first regular series, and that was following. I mean, Scott Lovedell had a long run on there. Then I think uh, uh, Larry Hama, and then yeah. You... It, it, yeah, it, it was Scott Lobdell, and then I think James Robinson did a like a yeah. a brief, brief run, and then uh, Larry Hama, and then I took over from Larry. Uh, yeah. What was that experience like? Because I mean, that was re I mean, that was when the X Men were, you know, still the number one property for Marvel. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was um, it was interesting because I wasn't a Generation X fan. I was an X-Men fan, but I had never really read, I had read one or two issues of the sure. comic, but it wasn't really my thing. Uh, and, but Frank had said, Hey, you know, we, oh, he hired me for a fill-in issue first. And so I did that and Terry Dodson drew it and it was great, great yeah. experience. And then, then he said, Hey, you know, Larry's going to be leaving and we'd love you to, to pitch for the book. And it was me and I think two or three other writers all, sub all submitted pitches for what we do with the book. Uh, and I, I lucked out and got it. Um, yeah. But I remember having to go to, I think, Xanadu Comics in downtown Seattle and buy all the Generation <laughs> X back issues they had just to familiarize myself with the book and, and figure out, you know, what who the cast was and, and all that stuff. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. It was, uh, 
you know, I took some heat because I was, this was when message boards were first coming alive. And, you know, I admitted that I was not, you know, I wasn't coming into this book as a fan. Yeah. And that upset some people that, you know, felt like I didn't deserve this gig. Um, but I think I brought a fresh perspective to it. I came to it. I came to love those characters and sure. to enjoy them. Um, but I didn't have baked in, you know, fanboy desires to, to do stuff with it. Uh, but it was a super fun run. It, it was disappointing because Frank uh, left Marvel shortly after hiring me. And, you know, then I had another editor that, you know, we didn't quite have the same vision for the book. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it just wasn't quite the run that I had hoped to have on that book. Sure. Yeah. And I think two, uh, for a couple of things. First, I would say not necessarily being a fan can sometimes be a positive because you're not as emotionally invested. Not, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like emotion, you're, you're, you're just, it's kind of a clean palette. You can see, yeah. you can see the forest for the trees, you know, yep. a little more. Um, you're not going to be too precious with it. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And you might take chances and do things that other, other people may not. And you don't have to feel, you know, so mired in continuity. You can kind of right. do some fresh things. Um, the, the editor thing is interesting. I always, I always am so fascinated by this dynamic. You know, what is, what, what was that? What's your experience like with editors? Not necessarily just in Marvel in that experience, but in other, you know, at DC and then at Image and then things like that. You know, because that's a, that's a yeah. dynamic that's got to be good. It can be good or bad. You know, it can make or break a book. It's, yeah, it really kind of it depends on the editor and it and it depends on you. Like I've I have since learned as I get gotten older that I, I don't think I was a great collaborator in the writer editor dynamic back then. You know, I was in my twenties. Uh, I think I was a little too thin skinned and would push back against notes or take them too personally. Um, but you have to be a good collaborator. You like notes are there, but I also think that editors, I always think there's two kinds of editors. So there's an editor who's going to help you tell your story the best way possible and there's an editor who's going to try to help you tell the story they want to tell. Yeah. And, you know, I think the former is much more that you're going to get a better result. You all want to be working towards the same goal. Right. Uh, and at Marvel and DC, it's, it's complicated because the editors are sort of the shepherds of these characters. They're the ones who, uh, and, you know, they have other bosses they have to answer to. And, yeah. and now, especially, it's it's the whole line and and crossovers and characters that don't, you know, that you don't have access to because they're owned, they're kind of controlled by another office. Um, so there's a lot of sort of internal politics that go on. Um, I remember being on Titans because I took that book over for a little while. Yeah. And uh, again, like I wanted to get back to like the Marv Wolfman sort yeah. of flavor and have it be soapy. And I wanted the book to have characters that I could have control over so I could do stuff in their personal lives and everything. And we had Arsenal, Roy Harper, who was Green Arrow's sidekick. And he'd been in the Titans book for years and years and years. Had, hadn't appeared in Green Arrow in forever. And then Kevin Smith takes over Green Arrow mm -hmm. and says, oh, I want to use Roy Harper. And suddenly we had to give him up. I mean, we could still use him in Titans, but he was no longer, like, I couldn't do whatever I wanted sure. with him. Yeah. He was a Green Arrow character. And that made me so irritated because I was like, <laughs> show me the last time he was in a Green Arrow book. Yeah. He hasn't been in Green Arrow in like a decade. But because Kevin Smith is a celebrity, like suddenly everything bends to his will. Um, so that irritated me. Um, 
but uh, again, it's that's just it, it's he had every right to want that. The editors had every right to do it. it it's their they it's they own it, and and it's it's instances like that which is what drove me to Image to sure. where I could. There were no editors. You know, you mentioned image editors. There's no such thing, really. Um, some creators will hire their own editor mm-hmm. if they want, you know, a second set of eyes or a, a sort of traffic cop. Uh, I I only did that once, and in fact, it was Frank Pitarisi who hired me at Marvel all those years ago. I brought him on to an image book I did, um, but for the most part, I was my own editor at Image. You know, once you have a book approved, it's yours, and you do whatever you want with it. Um, Occasionally, Image may chime in with cover design, you know, notes and, oh, I think your logo's ugly or, you know, stuff like that. But but in terms of the content of the book, there's it's absolute creative freedom, yeah. you know, for better or worse. Uh, so that's been that was a real it was an eye opener and also kind of validating because when I launched my first image book, uh, sales weren't through the roof or anything, but the reviews were kind. Yeah. And it showed me like, okay, if I follow my own instincts, like there is an audience for this. I'm not crazy. Uh, so it was gratifying. Was that, was that book Noble Causes? Yes. Yeah. That, see, that's, it's, that's the book where I, I'd read you before, but that's the book where I feel like I discovered you. <laughs> and that's, that's the book where I'm like, may start making the connection of you to other things I've read. Um, yeah. and, and, um, because Noble Causes was a, I mean, I love that book. I mean, that book, to oh, me, that, yeah, that, that to me, it's um, my favorite thing you've ever done. Although uh, I enjoy Copperhead a lot also for, but um, very, very, it's so funny because very, very different books, uh, which yeah. is great. I like seeing that because I, I think early in your career, you kind of got pigeonholed as like uh, doing Generation X, then New Warriors, Teen Titans, and that yeah, Noble Causes was very soap opera in a good way. Yeah, but um, the shift to the to you know the other genres and aspects of writing was great to see. Yeah, that that was sort of a conscious choice because I really did feel pigeonholed, but not, but I did it to myself. I mean, I I enjoyed all those books. Yeah, Uh, but it was finally like, okay, I've had enough of this particular flavor of candy i want to try something else for a while because i do have other interests uh and so it was nice to kind of get out of the superhero uh, game for a while and yeah. do stuff like your death and copperhead and and you know other genres yeah yeah noble causes was a book that i think was great right right time right place where the industry was shifting to very uh writer driven uh yeah. books you know, and that that was a, a more thoughtful, uh, more writer driven uh, a, a book. So it was, it was a great opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, timing wise. Yeah. And it was also image at that point in time had really aside from Savage Dragon, didn't really have any superhero books. Mm-hmm. They had moved so far away from what they had started out as. Uh, and I remember I had gone to a Sh- Wizard World Chicago one year and had gone out to dinner with a bunch of image creators. And it was my first exposure to to kind of the inner workings of image. Yeah. And Jim Valentino was was the head of the company at the time and great guy. And I remember just asking him, like, hey, would you guys ever do a superhero book again? And he was like, yeah, like, pitch me one. Yeah. I was like, okay. And so I did, and Noble Causes is go. the result. And, yeah, and that was – and then shortly after that, Invincible came on the scene – 
and then image was you know really in the superhero business again yeah back on the back on the train um, yeah well it's just you know just took creators writing kind of a fresh take on i guess you know the superhero thing because the again the 90s yeah. just beat up the superhero genre pretty right. bad <laughs> yeah. to the point where yeah. a little bit of fatigue on it yeah um so i mean are there still um you know your day job writing uh in for tv is there still how much time is dedicated to uh, creating and writing and pitching for uh comic book ideas for you uh right now again like not much um you know i have this one thing in image this graphic novel that um i think it was last year or the year before i spent a lot of time coming up with a few different pitches and trying to get a few different comic book projects off the ground. And uh, one of them happened, Area 510 came out from Oni last year, mm -hmm. almost a year, a little over a year ago, yeah. Um, and that's a graphic novel I'm really proud of. Uh, but the other stuff either didn't get traction or kind of fell apart. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard, like it's always been hard to get comics off the ground. Um, even as a as an established creator you know it's it's tough to find an artist and to you know get somebody to publish it uh and it's 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 tough and so these days i spend most of my time pitching on and coming up with ideas for tv yeah uh, which is also hard sure. but there's a bigger payday involved and that's my again that's my day job yeah. so that that's where i spend most of my energy how, how has that process changed in pitching for like for comic books pitching to image where before when you had books coming out or were there more regularly or uh even pitching to the big two or if that's something you even do anymore you know yeah the big two i haven't pitched anything there in a long time um like to me like it's it's a i don't think i'm on their radar yeah in in the slightest and and so i don't I don't even try to make inroads uh, there. Um, and it, at the smaller publishers, um, like an image, I still know I'm, I'm buddies with Eric Stevenson, so I can always reach out to him if, if I need to. Um, uh, but the other, and so I can still pitch to image and get a response. Yeah. Um, the other companies, it's kind of hit and miss. Um, you know, it, it, it's comics is a weird industry where you'll pitch something and just, never get a response yeah and they're like oh yeah i guess they don't want it <laughs> yeah I I, I I would guess i've got to imagine that especially with like the big two marvel and dc now that creatively it's got to be so challenging because of their i mean you're, you're essentially not pitching to marvel and dc you're pitching to disney and warner brothers right right yeah know? yeah like i don't even know if you pitch to them I think it's more like you, if you're, if you have any kind of established work, if, yeah. if you're a novelist or a, 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 any kind of writer with any kind of body of work that you just pitch yourself to get on their radar yeah. and then they will invite you, Hey, you know, we're doing a, you know, pitch me a, a an, an eight page Miles Morales story that we're going to publish online, yeah. you know, that kind of that, that I have a friend, a, a TV writer, a guy named Jay Holtham, who's, who's doing some work at Marvel. And that's been kind of his experience, I think, that, that he had some meetings with editors 
and then they kind of invited him to pitch on you know for a specific project yeah it's not like him coming in saying like i want to do a venom series yeah. it's it's him saying here's a specific need we have uh you know give us ideas for this and then as you build credibility with them then you get a little more leeway in the kinds of things you pitch and that you might be considered for yeah it's got to be so different now just because of the landscape of where they you know you always hear like they have these summits and they plan it out for the next three years so if you yeah. you, you can't come in and be like hey i have this idea it's like no matter right. how great it is it's like well we can talk about it in 2029 is when we've right. got <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, they have like I've heard of like different offices have like Zoom meetings with with the writers, and they have like a Discord channels and everything. And like there was never, I was never in any kind of story conference on anything I did at Marvel or DC. Yeah. Uh, like back in those days, there would be occasional like Superman, you know, because he had so many books. There'd be Superman summits once yeah. a year, maybe. Um, but now they're much more prevalent. I think it's 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 more, uh, I don't want to say editor driven, because the writers are like are very involved. But it's it's yeah, it's just a different. Uh, the hierarchy is different yeah. than it was when I was there. Because when I was pitching to break in at Marvel and DC, again, I was like, e not even emailing, mailing, in story submissions. I would find like c or d tier characters in an issue of marvel universe or who's who yeah and i'd be like hey what about a, a bronze tiger miniseries yeah. and <laughs> you know pitch that and it, i got responses like hey this is a good idea bronze tiger is not available but it, it got me on their radar yeah uh, and but now i don't think people would even open that email yeah like they I think, can't i think yeah for legal reasons and things yeah. like that they yeah i think it's it's you know there's you know like you said you don't want to say editor driven but i think there's at least check marks that the writers yes. have to hit where you're like hey yeah. you got to get you know a to b you got a little leeway in between a and b but whatever happens you have to end up at b and then you got to get to c yeah. um yes exactly the so yeah that's that's got to be um challenging um so you we'll back up a little bit you said you went to college and then went moved to seattle what did you go to college for originally uh i well originally i went to college as an art major okay. at a local community college because i wanted to draw comics and quickly realized that i was not cut out <laughs> for that uh and then switched majors to to english i was just an english major uh and then i went to i transferred to a state school called shippensburg in south central pennsylvania um and graduated there with an english degree uh but it's like it was very basic like you know i never went to film school i, yeah. I wasn't uh i never took like a, a graphic novel class like none of that existed when i was coming up yeah so it was just kind of a generic english degree so did you your purse you were pursuing to get into the comic industry though that was the goal I, I, yeah i wanted to i wanted to write novels or comic books or rather novels and comic books i, I always loved mystery novels and i still do um uh, and so my and i love television too but that was like not even on my radar i didn't know world. that was a thing that people could do yeah. <laughs> and uh but comics i had gotten when i was in college i got into uh they used to have these things called um, 
APAs, like amateur press associations, mm -hmm. which are like fan clubs, basically. And there was a Titans uh, thing called Titan Talk. It was a, it was like a monthly like newsletter where you would people would write Titans fanfic or you would write essays about the book or whatever. And, you know, you would print out your copy, print out the thing you wrote and mail it to the central mailer, this, this person who'd elected to be the central mailer, and they would collate these copies into one kind of book yeah. and then mail them back so everybody got a copy with everybody's material in it. And it was through that kind of fan association that I met Devin Grayson, who went on. She was just yeah. starting to make inroads at D.C. Okay. And she and I hit it off and became friends and so I kind of piggybacked in with her into DC and Marvel. Uh, she would she just made introductions like, "Oh, so and so is an editor who you should reach out to," and and it kind of gave me a little bit of legitimacy. Okay, um, but that was my. Um, I remember writing uh, Titans short stories and stuff when I was in college, uh, and and that was kind of my entryway into fan fiction and then comic books. Yeah. The, so when, where, where did the transition from uh, comic books to TV shift for you? When and that how? happened um, in the, like, around 2009, 2010. Uh, I, had, I was living in Seattle again, um, still writing image comics. I had a day job. And another good friend of mine, Brian Vaughn, had gotten onto the staff of Lost. And mm -hmm. that was an eye opener. And, you know, he would tell me stories about being in the writer's room and this and that. And I started to realize, like, I got to give this a shot. Yeah. Or I'm going to regret it. I don't want to regret not trying. And so I, I, I had gotten a manager in Hollywood, mainly for my comic book projects that, you know, occasionally you get interest from a producer sure. or whatever. So I had representation. And, uh, so I wrote, I, I wrote a couple spec scripts and which are a spec script is a script of an existing show. It's like a sample episode. Yeah. Uh, and I submitted that at the time, these are still around, but not as robust as they once were. Uh, the different studios have uh, like writers programs to try to find new talent. And I submitted to all these programs that I got into Warner brothers. Uh, and so I moved down to LA from Seattle to, take this it was like a weekly boot camp for tv writers uh and you would meet once a week in the evenings for about two or three hours at warner brothers and you would kind of do like a mock writers room and there were guest lecturers showrunners and directors and yeah. agents and executives uh and then the, the the biggest boost in this was if you successfully made it all the way through the course you were then sent out on meetings for all the Warner Brothers shows. And this program, this writer's workshop, would pay your salary for the first 20 weeks on a show. Oh, wow. So it made you appealing. It, it was to incentivize showrunners to give a shot to a new yeah, writer yeah. so that it didn't come out of their budget. And it worked. I mean, I think most, I think I had 10 people in my class, and I think nine of us got staffed. Uh, and I ended up on a show, and that was my entry into TV writing. What was, and, uh, what was it? Was a show, show called Ringer on the CW with okay. Sarah Michelle Gellar? Okay, playing twins. <laughs> and then what? So, I mean, what a shift from comic books, which is you know you script, send to an editor, yeah. 
potentially an editor. I mean, that yeah. even that kind of went away for you in your later days. Um, yeah. To the group, I mean, being in a writer's room. What's I mean? Yeah. How's that? What what could? It was it was a shift, and it was honestly it was something that I was concerned about because I had sort of told myself that what kept me from television all this time was that like I'm a I'm a quote unquote real writer. Yeah. Like I like to sit in my room at my keyboard by myself. I don't want to be in a writer's room pitching ideas and back and forth. And uh but I think really I was just scared. Like sure. I was intimidated to because if you're pitching ideas in a writer's room, you also have to defend those ideas and yeah. you know react when people will turn it down or push back or poke holes. Um but it was it, it, it turned out great. Like it, it, it was a great experience. I was much better suited for it than I feared I was, yeah. I think. Um, and it was a great experience. And, and I think going from comics to television, I think is easier than going from television to comics. Hmm. You know, there are a lot of TV writers who like have an idea that they can't sell. And so they try to make it into a comic and which there's nothing wrong with, I've, I've done the same thing. Um, but I think it's harder to learn the language of comics coming from a TV background because you're so used to writing, you know, in a script, you can write Steve walks across the room and answers the phone and picks up a glass of water. And in comics, that's like three different movements that yeah. you can't show <laughs> in one panel. And you have to figure out how to communicate that idea, you know, to an artist that makes sense on a page. And it's, it's, it's a different kind of language, but it's easier going from comics to TV where it's like, Oh, I'm used to breaking it down this way. I just have to break it down a little bit less for television uh, yeah. because you can be more fluid with your movements. Um, but it was, you know, it was an adjustment to, to, you know, uh, it was still an adjustment to, to folks, you know, uh, rewriting, you know, I would get rewritten. That happens all the time in TV, in comics, it didn't happen nearly as much, but you know, you just surrender your script and the showrunner takes it and does a pass and, Sometimes you'll get a script back and it looks nothing like what you turned in. Yeah. Other times they just made little tiny changes. Um, and, and so that was an adjustment. And also just seeing the sheer number of people it takes to bring a TV show to life versus a comic book. Yeah. You know, a comic book, it's you, an artist, a colorist, a letterer, maybe an inker, uh, you know, and, and that's it. And television, there's hundreds of people that uh are, are necessary and and just the meetings involved and and uh, the other thing the other big difference i think especially in that time was comics everything was written everything was in writing you know you would email with your editors you would email with your artists yeah if, if you were pitching a story you would write up your pitch and email to them and they would read it in comic books or in sorry in television so much more of it is verbal where if you're pitching an idea, you're verbally pitching it to someone. Sure. Nobody in Hollywood wants to read, so everything is done verbally. Like yeah. when I when I say that I'm out pitching a show, it means I'm doing what you and I are doing right now. I'm on a Zoom and I'm just telling them about the show and pitching it to them using words, yeah. not a, a written document that they read. Uh, so that sort of performative aspect of it was new to me, and I had to you know, get, you get over my sort of stage fright. Yeah. Cause there were times even in the writer's room where you'll stand up in front of the room to pitch them, you know, your episode or to pitch them a scene or whatever. And so you have to be a bit of a performer. You have to be able to speak in front of a group. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of a show. That was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, there, that was, that was a, a change. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, I hear, I know, I mean, I have 
I know a lot of people in the industry that do that. And there's always like, you gotta, like, you gotta be good in the room. They always yeah. say, you know, you gotta sell yeah. in the room. Um, yeah. so that's, yeah, it's so interesting. What, I mean, what a, there's so many similarities, but so different yeah. too. Yeah. Um, do you miss some of the like creative autonomy then I guess? Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I started on ringer and I was doing near death and image as a monthly, and one of the other writers, a, a more senior level writer, you know, he was just, we were just getting to know each other. And he was like, man, he's like, it is so good that you have this comic book because that's yours. Yeah. You know, in, in television, everything we're doing, is not ours. It's the showrunners. Like it's the networks. They have final say, but that comic, that's yours. That's your creative outlook or your creative, you know, output, your, your way to express yourself. And yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do like having that autonomy in comics. And I'm also, my other sort of hobby project is a novel that I've been, piece, you know, picking away at over the last two years or so. Yeah. And that's also kind of an escape. Because even in comics, you know, you have an artist who you have to rely on to yeah. realize the vision you're trying to create. Uh, but in a novel, it's just you. Like, yeah. I have no one else to rely on. And that that's satisfying. But I also do miss the sort of garage band mentality of of doing comics where it's like you and an artist and, and just you and three other people can put a book together and, and just together. do it yourselves. And, and I miss that sort of intimacy and autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, especially I, I'm sure different you click better with different artists. So, you know, if you find an artist that you specifically get your vision yeah. um were there specific artists you worked with that really it was just easy where you didn't have to give they just saw it you know yeah i mean there's a i've been lucky that a lot of the people that i've worked with we have gotten on really well um i mean one guy and this goes back to the new warriors days jamal eigel uh he took over new warriors right as we like we had like, I think we did three issues together, maybe four, and then the book got canceled. But he and I just hit it off. We had the same sensibilities. We're about the same age, so yeah. we have a lot of the same points of reference. Um, and, and yeah, he just, like, we just click. And we've done a few. We did a, our own creator-owned book at Image briefly called Venture. Um, oh, yeah. And then mm -hmm. he and, what else did we do? We did a couple things together over the years. Uh, and it's just, we just work really well together. He's just a great guy. Um and and other, most of the people, uh, Mahmoud Asrar, who who did Dynamo Five with mm -hmm. me, uh, he and I click. Scott Godleski uh, from Near Death, or I'm sorry, from Copperhead, he and I always got along really well and and really vibed together really well. Uh, Simone Gigliomini did Near Death with me, and he and I share the same crime drama uh, interests, and so we really clicked on that book. Uh, so I'm leaving out people, but sure, yeah, I've been yeah. really lucky that, that a lot of the people that I've worked with have been really fruitful and, you know, good collaborations. You have there, have you had any artists that you haven't worked with that have been, you know, that you're like, oh, I would love to work with. Oh man. Bill yeah, Sinkevich like, or, you know, how, whoever. So many, like I, I'm trying to think of like Chris Somney is somebody mm -hmm. whose mm -hmm. stuff is just extraordinary like i'd be thrilled to work with him someday yeah uh uh but but yeah just so many people uh who i've never gotten the chance to Stuart imminent is another guy who's yeah. whose stuff that i 
just love. I mean, I we could be here all day talking yeah. about artists who I like, <laughs> who I'd love to work with one day. But but I also love this. I mean, I think kind of one of my niches in comics was finding artists, discovering new artists, and and working with them. I mean, Mahmoud had really not done anything when I got him on Dynamo Five. Uh, Yildirim Sinar, uh, he did Noble Causes with me, and he's doing stuff at Marvel and DC now. Uh, but but finding these guys uh, and and working with them and, and exposing them to a bigger audience uh, and then dealing with the heartbreak when they leave me for yeah. <laughs> greener pastures. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, it's, it's at least it, good to know you you got them there, right? <laughs> no, it is. It is. I have nothing but happy when when they're able to to go on to bigger and better things. What about um, creatively as far as? characters or things like that is there any characters that you wanted to there you know like you 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 got to do titans for a while i know you're a titans fan when you were younger you know was there any character like oh, i would have loved to do this book or this character or this yeah i mean it was uh i think my biggest sort of holy grail would be alpha flight mm. which is one of my favorite marvel properties yeah. and part of it is that that book for like that was the first number one issue i ever got as mm-hmm. a kid and so it, i have this sort of attachment to being on the ground floor with that book yeah um and i always loved it um i don't think it'll ever happen i mean it, it, it uh i feel like i'm not canadian <laughs> so <laughs> if someone's good like ed brisson's doing an alpha flight book now yeah ed should be writing an alpha flight book ed's canadian uh um but I love those characters regardless. Um, and, and even like Titans, I would love another crack at Titans. Cause I don't yeah. feel I ever really, the, the, the book, my Titans run was not well received and for good reason. That was where the editor and I really were not on the same page. I was, we, we talked earlier about, you know, if you're not a fan of a book, you can bring a fresh perspective um, on my Titans run. I was hired by Eddie Braganza and then he left, pretty quickly after hiring me and then Andy Helfer took over and I was a Titans, you know, diehard and Andy had no familiarity with them at all. And I thought that we could meet somewhere in the middle that his outside perspective would help, but we just didn't, we couldn't get on the same page. It didn't work. The stuff he wanted to do with the book, I didn't want to do. And I stayed on longer than I should have. And so stories were coming out with my name on them. But I didn't really like I agreed with all the criticism that the yeah. Titans had kind of become supporting characters in their own book and the new characters that we brought in to replace them. I don't think were very compelling. Uh, and part of that's on me because I could have executed Andy's direction better. But really, I should have just left the book sooner than I did. Yeah. Um, but I would love a proper a, a proper <laughs> crack at the Titans uh, someday. The uh, I mean, you worked for uh, some DC shows. You ever get a? You ever uh, try to get in on the Titans sh- TV show that was happening? Uh now it's funny because I was I was on Supergirl when, and and our our writers' room was just down the hall from the Titans writers' yeah. room. Uh, but because I was on Supergirl, there was no opportunity to get onto Titans. Uh, but but on Supergirl, it was that was fun. It was it was fun to whenever I could work in any DC um, lore into that. And there's one sort of Easter egg that I don't know that it, it people even realize, but there, there was a villain we used in an episode of Supergirl 
that I actually created in the Titans comic. Oh, uh, but it was a character called Breathtaker who could manipulate wind. Um, but I don't think we ever called her that on Supergirl. So like, it, it was never really obvious that's who it was. Yeah. Uh, and it, but it was it was kind of fun to be able to use her uh, in this group that I had created with Paul Pelletier you know, 10 years Another ago, however long ago stuff. it was. Wow. That's it. Yeah. The, um, so what, um, now you, I guess moving forward, you're, you know, again, we're going mostly TV. Um, you're working for other writing TV, established TV shows. Do you feel a need to kind of go the route where you're creating your own things and pitching your own things and writing your own, instead of, you know, like going to, from instead of working for Marvel and DC, you're doing yeah. image, but for TV. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what I'm focusing on right now. Like I'm I'm working on a couple different pitches to take out and, and try to sell and, and get up and running. Uh, so yeah, that is definitely something that uh, I am focused on for sure. The uh, is it superhero stuff or is it all genre? Uh, no, it's mostly crime, kind of thriller, mystery area. Okay. Yeah, the superhero. I don't really have much interest in doing a superhero show at the yeah. moment. I, I feel like I. I, I scratched that itch with Supergirl and with all the comics I've written. Um, so the TV stuff is is where I'm really trying to lean into my interest in mysteries yeah. and, and crime stories. Well, and there's such a saturation of that in the market yeah. right now, too. It's yeah. kind of, there's <laughs> plenty yeah. of that. Um, yes. Right on. All right. Well, uh, great. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I'm glad that you're still out there doing it and making a, a hopefully the new the graphic novel you said you're working on is that a follow-up to near death is that what you said or uh no it's something completely new completely new all right well uh any and that's kind of a when it's out it's out it's yeah it'll it'll probably be out in 2025 would be my guess okay it, it's not on schedule yet we're still we're maybe a third of the way through it okay um so it, it, it's gonna be a little while yeah as time as time permits for the the day job yes <laughs> so yeah. um Right on. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you all day. Jay, I appreciate you you doing this and um, taking the time to talk. I look forward to the uh, uh, to the graphic novel when it comes out. I've, I've always enjoyed all your stuff. Yeah, so I will I will share the word as soon as it's announced. <laughs> Great. Um, well, uh, why don't you tell if you have any, I don't know, social media, anything where you want people to follow you, if you do any of that or what best way uh, to find yeah, you? Yeah, I'm on I'm – on, uh, X, I guess we have to call it now. Um, Just at my name. I'm also on Blue Sky. Uh, Those are the places I'm most active. I mean, I'm still most active on Twitter. Um, But but yeah, you can follow me there. All right. What is Blue Sky? I haven't heard of that one. Oh, that's another. It's like a Twitter replacement. It's another social media site. Um, It's it's very Twitter-like. Yeah. I feel like a million of those. Yeah. There's, there's that there's so, threads there's yeah there's a few of them i, I yep. can't i can't keep up on i can't do any yeah. i'm at my limit of social media sites i can't <laughs> do more i've just said yeah doing comedy people are like oh when tiktok got big they're like you got to get on tiktok and i'm like i okay. am 40 i cannot I, yeah. you know it's like i don't know how to do that too old to begin the training um yeah I, you know and i don't yep. you know Same. i know i know that tiktok there's also a big like author segment on tiktok of is people there? promoting books yeah oh, wow. and i'm like no sorry like i i don't know like yeah i can't <laughs> yeah. do it i can't do it i, I want to write it 
somebody else can sell it. Yeah, we'll figure that out later. So yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, all right, Jay. Well, I appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll, we'll get out of here for the day, let you get back to your work. I'm sure you got stuff to do. Uh, so uh, guys, uh, again, go to deescomedy.com. Check out everything going on across the network. I've got live dates uh, coming up. Um, not much through the end of the year. I'm taking the rest of the 2023 off, but 2024, I'll be hitting the road hard. Uh, there are dates on the calendar, so go check them out. Uh, follow Jay on uh, Twitter or X or Blue Sky. And um, check out some of his comic books. He's done some great stuff and uh, TV shows that he's been on too. So, um, all right, guys, uh, for the social hour, I've been Deese. And for Jay Ferber, thank you very much. And we will you. see you all next week. 